This podcast is proudly brought to you by Annotate Agency, a team of creatives passionate about introducing clients to the transformative impact of creative digital marketing. Please go check them out, guys. Listeners, Snake Edwards on the recorder here. This one's a belter. Okay, welcome back to a chat with Pat, and I'm so excited to have the incredible, um, intelligent, and beautiful Jess Matthews, the boy detox, on this episode. Um, it's going to be a juicy one, and I'm so appreciative of your time, Jess. Thank you. We finally got there and got and connected finally. You're welcome. <laughs> it's lovely to um, be here so long after we started talking. Yeah. I believe there's been many messages in between. <laughs> many, many, many. Um, we'll get straight into it, but how did the boy talk boy detox come about in your business because i can imagine it's quite a niche market and made for probably only a few people but i'm quite interested about how this all began um it's a bit of a curly <laughs> story actually so i've already i've always been super captivated by relationship sex dating even from a really young age mm. um and then i was a writer from a young age also i used to be a music reviewer and when I was in my early 20s, I was a bartender, I was traveling a lot and I was doing as you do when you're in your early 20s and dating anything and everything <laughs> that walked or came my way and really enjoying myself. And there was a certain person, there was a catalyst mm. that kind of came along and it wasn't a significant person, but for some reason, this connection really rattled me. I, like it was a rejection of sorts. And it sort of forced me to take a look at myself and kind of the behavior um, that I had towards men and relationships. And I, I was like, I just kind of thought mm, there's something wrong here. Like I'm, I'm not doing something right. So I went and wrote a book and unsurprisingly, the book is called The Boy Detox. So that happened. And then after that, I started to write smaller like shorter articles about the observations that I made of relationships around me and dating um, experiences that I'd had but at the same time I kind of developed this um, I developed this ability to give people advice and I had a lot of people always come to me for advice and I guess it's because I'm so non-judgmental and so people would trust me with their stories um, and wherever I would be in the world at work or in airports or in airplanes or in clubs, people would come and say, oh, what do you think about this, Jess? Or can you give me some advice about this? So from writing grew this idea that I would be good at giving advice to people. So not only was I writing, but then I became a dating and relationship coach. After that, I kind of went and did a, um, a coaching course and got mm -hmm. qualified and then started taking clients. Wow. Um, is it fair to say that guy was the one you're talking about, the catalyst and do you, for creating the boy T-Tox and, you know, do you keep in touch with him out of interest? I do not keep in touch with him, not in any way, shape or form. He was just a catalyst. He was an amazing catalyst for me to form a great platform and to write a book. So yeah. um, he didn't have, a, he hasn't had a significant psychological impact um, on, you know, shaping my relationships. It was just, um, it was that he was a trigger that made me look at the way I was behaving throughout that period of my life um, with men, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, before we get into the nitty gritty, I'm interested to hear your take in 
on love and intimacy and, and especially in how it's depicted in today's modern world. I mean, and how, especially how it shapes us when we're younger, especially when we're younger. I mean, we can go into attachments and stuff, but what's your take on the impact that has and how we view it for our own relationships going forward? Well, it's huge, right? Because the first thing you know, I'm not sure if you've ever been to therapy, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have. But the first thing that your psychologist or your um, psychiatrist will ask you about is your relationships with your parents mm. and what they were like when you're growing up. So love and intimacy is kind of first experience through those relationships that we view as children. And the easiest one to look to is to is our parents' relationships. And that forms a kind of psychological impact or imprint on us and shapes our beliefs for when we grow up and form our own connections and relationships. Um, but I'd also say that another big influence on us um, in forming relationships is the media. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have a lot to answer for in terms of the romanticization and the simplification of relationships. <laughs> and the media tends to ignore rationality um, for the sake of romance mm, yeah. um, in the way that it portrays dating and relationships. So I think that has a, it has a big influence over us. Yeah. I'll definitely put my hand up as being one of those people. I just love love a bit too much, but yeah. And especially I'm the uh, same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like the Valentine's day again, big marketing tool is about like, mm -hmm. you know, it's a big good example in my eyes. I think where you know, this is one special day you express love, but you know, you can do it to anyone and everyone as well. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> now, um, I've, I've had a lot of people in person and people ask, you know, dating 101. Now, we've reopened and we're open back up, especially after COVID. Um, everything's, everyone's social again. I mean, what, we, what are some of your go-to tips for anyone that's not just going back in there, but in general, I guess, you know, a norms that we should follow and general rules for dating, dating 101? I actually love this question because I'm relearning myself as well. Um, <laughs> Can't be true. Not only... <laughs> no, I really am. Um, not only have we been in lockdown for a long time, but I was living in rural New South Wales um, for a little while. So I'm kind of just relearning how to do everything again. But in terms of practical advice, I'll give you a few tips. And they are, number one is go out. <laughs> go out and see the world. Um, the thing is like dating apps are great um, and they kind of allow us to possibly match with people that we might not ever meet um, in other scenarios. But going out gives us endless opportunities to meet people with this sort of serendipity. Mm. And you might find that you strike up a conversation with somebody that you might not swipe right on on a dating app, but just because you're in person with them and you you have the opportunity to feel their energy or you can be attracted to aspects of their character or their personality rather than just their aesthetics. And I think there's something really to be said for going out and experiencing that and getting to know people in real life rather than just kind of swiping through apps. So my mm. first thing is to just go out and don't go out hunting, just go out and enjoy yourself with your yeah. friends. Um, and along with that, I always say to people, pay attention to your surroundings. And we all have a habit of going everywhere with our phones. Yeah. You know, you're waiting for your coffee. You're looking at your phone. You're at a bar with your mates. You're on your phone. Just get off your phone and look at people, <laughs> make eye contact, maybe smile. And mm. you have no idea like what opportunity might present itself. Yeah. Um, and that keeps you open. It keeps your body language open. So 
you know, you can kind of see what's happening around you and, and see what opportunities arise. Mm. And the other thing that I say is um, cast the net wider. I've been listening to a lot um, from a guy called John Berger at the moment who wrote a book called Datanomics. Datanomics. And there's a lot of really alarming stats to support the fact that we only seek connection with those people in the dating pool who are our socioeconomic equals or Mm. above. But by doing that, we kind of dilute dating into like a ticker box experience without allowing aspects of humanness to be considered. So cast the net wider just because you have a PhD or a bachelor's degree. Does it really matter if Mm. you meet someone that is wonderful but doesn't have the same university qualifications as you or doesn't earn over X amount? Yeah. So I'd say really be open to all of the different opportunities and all the different types of people out there. You're a Chris, because I saw on your stories, you're a Modern Wisdom fan, Chris Williamson. Yeah. Mm. I remember listening to one of his podcasts where – he talks about this interesting start where like, oh, I think this is the book, The Game. Have you heard of that? Where like yes. 80, 80% of the men are trying to hunt. This is very summarized, are trying to get 20% of females or something like that. So it's very diluted. And then that females, you know, men get increased percentages like likes on Hinge if they have, I think it's a PhD or something like that. Like it's, it's so interesting and it resonates with the fact that status plays a bit of a part in that, in, in that what you just said. Absolutely, and that's. Yeah. I think I prob- I definitely would have listened to Chris Williams yeah. as well. It's exactly what he's saying, yeah. um, and but there's no reason that we shouldn't be going for the tradie down the road who <laughs> yeah. probably he probably earns more than you anyway. Yeah, and is just nice and humble. Might not have a PhD, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's interesting that the. When you think of it, I'll think of, I can only go back to my own experiences with my own mates and they probably will roar at me for this, but I know I'm probably the number one suspect. Oh, oh boys, I fell in love. Like, I don't know I fell in love tonight. I locked eyes with this girl and she was amazing. I should have made a move and, you know, 80% of the time it's me. But um, yeah, it's quite, there's a bit of, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, romanticism in that, you know, like, the, yeah, and, yeah and, and it's, um, it's, it's beautiful, I think, you see, and then you chase it up and the journey and, yeah, it's very romantic, I think, in some ways and going out and actually socialising and meeting someone and seeing that. Yeah, but I also just really do want to say to people, just actually make a move. Yeah. Oh. I, know, <laughs> I know it's really scary. I know it's really scary. And I also tell, like, I also tell women to do this as well because it's, it's really scary for men to make a move. It's really yep. scary for women to make a <laughs> to make a move and I kind of have a rule that if a guy if a guy goes to the effort to ask me out on a date I won't say no mm. unless I think he's a complete creep because I know how much how, how much it actually takes to do that so ask the question the worst thing you can hear is no mm, yeah yeah and it's it's yeah it's hard for people to think but you're right like what's the worst that could happen honestly like they just yeah. say no and you go about your night and have a good night with your friends and have a different laugh and have a laugh have a good time exactly or or they could say no and you could develop a friendship yeah yeah that's is chivalry dead for a side note like should guys go out and buy a girl's drink or say something cute or a compliment (laughs) i'm i'm laughing because the last email i wrote for tbd was called chivalry's not dead Um, (laughs) i really believe in chivalry because i love love um Mm. look makes two of us there's a 
there's a lot of behavior that has got a lot to be answered for these days. But no, I don't really believe chivalry's dead. I met like I met a guy in Melbourne and I chatted to him for an hour or something and he sent me flowers and a bottle of champagne. Yeah, like I've I've never been on a date with him. I've never kissed him just because I was recovering from surgery. Yeah. So I'd like to say at the moment I don't think chivalry's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a hopeless romantic, so I'd yeah, probably do the same thing. Yeah, and we need we need more hopeless romantics, to be honest. Yeah. And it's only people that kind of there's some people that wreck it for everybody else and we need to stop mm. doing that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, totally right. They get me stuck. Especially like with social media influencing that as well. Like, you know, people can have so many quote unquote fingers in different pies so easily now with social media, which kind of dilutes that romanticism and chivalry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, look, I think it's okay if, if you're single to have your finger in yeah, a bunch sure. of different pies, but still be respectful yeah. and kind to all of them. And if you can't keep up with that, then you don't deserve to have your finger in a lot of pies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and is there, um, is there some, like, I guess a bit of benefits in meeting through friends of friends as well? Yes. Um, I think so because it's, it's safer and you've, you've kind of got that insight from, from your mates or from friends of friends where they can kind of say, oh yeah, Chris is a good guy. Like you should go on a date. So then, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not guaranteed, but you know that you're not, it's better than going on a date with a stranger for a nap to mm, be honest. Yeah. Um, and it also alleviates that kind of anxiety so you can be yourself quicker. Yeah. And that's really the sweet spot in forming connections and worse comes to worse. Again, you make a friend. Yeah, yeah. And with the friends of friends, it's like you can – there's a common bond there. Like you'd like the same similar type of people, so therefore you may have the same kind of values and enjoy the same things and yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add on to the dating strategies? I mean, for anyone going out there in top of those things? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I talk to clients about a whole lot of sort of mental and emotional stuff that goes along with – getting out on getting out on the dating landscape um, and there's a lot of things that you can do to prepare yourself for dating particularly if you are ready to approach it with a certain certain level of intentionality um, but I think it's really important to be self-aware and at the very crux of everything is you need to understand who you are because without knowing who you are and without knowing what your values are you can't ever know what you want so I know it sounds really simple, but you got to know who you are first. Then you got to know what you want, and after that, you can kind of go out and look for something that might match with that or might align with you. Mm. Is there is there an aspect of readiness to be out dating? Like, is it really like is it? It's not really an on switch. Like, does that make sense? It's not really like some people can just truly not be ready. Is that correct for for dating and meeting so many people and doing those things? Yeah, hundred percent. There's, there's, a, yeah, there's a certain amount of openness um, that you need to have um, when you are ready to date, and it's essentially, it's essentially pointless to date if you're not ready, unless you want sort of transactional hookups, and mm. that's that's not dating with intention. Yeah, you know. So, but that's that's why you need heightened self-awareness so you know that you can check in with yourself and think 
oh, I'm not there yet or I am there. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So is, is that play a big important role? I guess timing. So is timing really, really a key aspect in all this? I mean, I used to be a believer that timing was bullshit. I thought it was an excuse. Yeah. yeah and I thought, mm. you know, black and white, you know, you either want me. And I'm sure a lot of people have these same feelings. Oh, she said she wasn't the right time. And then, you know, you get on top of that. Other people might think, oh, she's just bullshitting. Yeah. Like it's, she's lying. Like how can, you know, how can she say it's not the right time, even though, you know, she may like you. Is that, is that true? Um, yeah. I mean, I've been through, I've been through both sides of the timing argument. <laughs> and I have to say that I really believe that timing matters. Mm. And again, that comes down to self-awareness of both people within the connection and it takes a certain amount of courage to say to somebody, I really like you, but actually I have to focus on my degree or my career yeah. right now. And they might really like you, but at that moment in their lives, they need to prioritize the other thing. Yeah. And if they are making the other thing, the, their career or university, their priority, then yeah, you're less of a of a priority but the timing really is important there yeah yeah because you you wouldn't want them to be unhappy and mm. give up their career or their degree exactly. or whatever else just to be with you yeah and and you kind of just in my own i guess eyes and theory that i've always thought and recently like my own experiences that no two people can kind of come align and have an increased odds of having a good long-term relationship unless they're both kind of somewhat stable like and they're, they're secure does that make sense like you know they've got to be it, it this makes it so intriguing there's a lot more to dating than what people think because you know you've got to have the right timing you know um be it's a big commitment you've got to have other stuff in your life balanced as well which aren't going on i mean yeah. it, it, it just rings kind of true into the, the timing timing aspect of it as well I also say, I always kind of say dating is 50% compatibility, 50% timing, yeah. just to kind of simplify it into a nice, easy math equation for everyone. But yeah. when you when you look at each of those components, there's so much in timing and there's so much in compatibility. Yeah. But really, if you don't have those two things, then there's nothing. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, mentioned com cooked. compatibility. I mean, what's what entails compatibility and is chemistry compatibility as well? No. So no. this is the thing that we all get confused. Yeah. <laughs> Compatibility, chemistry, two very similar words. They're both quite sexy words too. So this yeah. is maybe why we get them confused. But compatibility is the fundamental components of the relationship. It's the most important thing yeah. um, outside of timing, but it's it's the most important thing. So compatibility, compatibility is your values essentially. And it's what will drive the relationship and help it stick for the long term. Um, and the values, your values are essentially what make what make you you every single day. So it's like what makes it's what makes you get up in the morning and what makes you happy and what makes you, you know, want to keep going. So values are big things like your career, your family, your creativity, your social life, for example. And compatibility is something that you want to get right with somebody because if you don't, if you don't match on your compatibility, then you're going to have a really destabilized relationship, and eventually it will fall apart. Yeah, yeah, which probably plays a part. I mean, the influence of the modern 
I guess romanticism and compatibility is like, do you sit down, talk about your finances and do you sit down and really talk about your values? And um, oh, no, I don't want to <laughs> give too much away. I actually haven't been on too many dates, but I've, uh, I asked a girl, like, what are your values? And I was like, oh, yeah, like this and this. But yeah, and it was from your work. It's like, okay, then, well, if there's any chance of so-and-so this working out, then these values have to kind of resonate with me as well. There's, there are, okay, yeah, I know what you mean. Like it yeah. is difficult to sit down on a first or second date and say, yeah. hey, what are your values? But there's really, there's tricks for it. And yeah. one of my favorite tricks is just to, is just to ask questions about what they did on the weekend yeah. or whether they've been on a holiday recently. Hmm. And if you have enough kind of data from maybe two dates or three dates and they've told you what they've been doing recently, you can see where where they spend their time and where they spend their money. Mm. So, yeah. you know, on the weekend they might've hung out with their nieces and nephews or they might've gone out with their friends or they might've spent a fair bit of time at the gym or maybe yeah. they're doing overtime on a project for work. So all of a sudden you start to get this picture of what this kind of, what this person's like, you yeah. know, they, maybe they value their promotion at work more than they value spending time with their extended family. So the values kind of start to, to fall into place mm. and once we have a little bit more time under our belts with somebody so i'm talking like three or four dates you can kind of get a grasp of that data and compare it to what they're telling you because you'll be able to see their behavior versus yeah. their words yeah now i sound I feel like such an idiot just going bang <laughs> straight, in, straight in the deep end on a date with values that yeah. just shows I've got no time to waste, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, and and in in contrast to that, are you? Is there any like unwritten law? Like, is a three date rule a good like an actual rule? Like, is that where you kind of generally get a gist of how this person is? Or oh, there's something that I made up called um, I like to call it the three date approach, yeah. and the basis of it is that. You don't really know who anyone is until well, – I want people to stop deciding that they like people before the end of the third date because mm. we don't know who each other – we don't know who we are or we yeah. don't know who the other person is. The first date, everyone is essentially masquerading. You rock up to a first date, it's like a job interview. Mm. You know, like you look your best, you smell good, like you, you've got your talking points ready to go. Yeah. Um, you put away all your so, shitty little characteristics or like you, you – try to bring the best perfect self as you can for those, for those exactly well. yeah. exactly which means that the second date is actually the first date hmm. so in that case then the second date is the first time that you really have the chance to kind of get an insight into who into their character and into their personality and so by the third date you can start to match up to think like okay what this person is telling me on date one and two matches what how they're behaving by date three. Because the other thing is by date three, like if somebody's faking it, they'll get real sick of it unless they're a professional yeah, actor. Yeah. So they'll either drop the act or they'll drop off the face of the earth. So mm -hmm. I always say to people, don't decide that you like people before date three. Because when you do decide that you like people, then a whole lot of stuff happens. Like it's like this physiological response where – you start to get obsessed with them, mm. you know, attractions heightened and you already kind of are locked in with them. You've got love heart eyes and that allows you to get carried away on this like kind of romantic view mm. of where's my life going with this person when actually you really don't know that much about them yet. 
Yeah. Well, let me get in the deep end. How can people tell if they actually do like someone? <laughs> how can people? Yeah, okay. How can they be able to tell, like, if they truly do like someone? Like, what characteristics would they see in themselves? I think that really depends on the person. But yeah. if if you meet somebody and they make you feel good, I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, feelings kind of throw us throw us a little bit into the deep end. Mm. But if you, that's the problem. You kind of need to step <laughs> back and, and approach it from a point of rationality. So yeah. if if you feel good about somebody, but also you can see that your values are aligning, so okay, they're a family person, they also value travel and they really enjoy spending time with their friends, that's what my values are too, then you kind of know you're safe or you're a little bit more safe. Mm. But then you also need to start looking for, okay, do this do this person's words match their actions? So yeah. what they're saying to me now, like they're, they're going to follow through with it. So that's kind of where I say you're in more of a, a safe zone to allow yourself to like mm. them. Yeah. But feeling like you like someone, I mean, there's no there's no limits or anything on that. That's just that's just chemistry and it's lust, and that's the other part that we get confused with because chemistry is this thing that we get carried away with. Mm. Yeah, we all have this response for chemistry. Like, uh, is, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, so women love oxytocin; they release oxytocin and get attracted to oxytocin more, the love hormone and I was also listening to Chris Williams. Men like, uh, is it narrow presses hormones or something? So they like doing tasks and completing things together with, with women. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're too familiar with that. And I found that quite interesting because men over time have done that with their mates and, you know, do it with their friends and, you know, they go out. And over even the history of men where they, you know, even go to wars and stuff, they're always completing tasks and doing things, which is also an interesting aspect in the science of it all as well. I mean, was that, is, that, is that correct? Well, I don't know about the narrow tasks yeah. thing, but I can yeah. speak to oxytocin. Yeah. And we we all produce oxytocin. Oxytocin is a hormone um, or a chemical released by the brain. And it's produced when we feel close to people. Mm. Um, but the biggest difference, difference for men and women is that uh, oxytocin links more ferociously with estrogen than it does with testosterone. Yeah. So... Um, in cer certain situations where oxytocin is released um, in a lot more potent um, <laughs> kind of amounts after sex, yeah. um, the women are the ones that are more likely to get attached because I think it only um, pairs with with testosterone for about seven minutes or something, but it's got a wow. lot, like a lot of a, it's got a lot more of a lasting effect on women. So. Mm that's what's responsible for this kind of attachment that women form when a lot of oxytocin is released. Whereas men kind of get away with feeling good for a little while and then like, okay, see ya. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which is why we hear the narratives of the guy who just kind of left me and ghosted me and walked away. That's ex exactly right. And that's why you hear the narrative of, well, it was really great sex. He's on parole, but it was really great sex. I really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it and it's so, yeah. It's um, yeah, the more I think about it and the science behind it, it's like it's bloody, yeah. It's complicated and it's intriguing. Like it's not, it's not as easy just going out and find the one and having a happy ever after. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's, yeah. there's, it's all chemicals and science is against women. I can tell you that much. Oh, <laughs> really? <not> <laughs> now back to the, I guess the, a little bit of the dating one-on-one. I mean, I did have someone ask me, I mean, date ideas. I know it's small and, you know, cause men normally they've said, and people close to me said their experiences, okay, watch their, they're the ones that are chosen to who what should they do on the date generally like i mean what are some brief little good ideas that both sexes can take onto a first date i mean what's always a good idea for you oh man honestly as long as you're making effort it doesn't matter like as long as you're making effort and being thoughtful it doesn't matter and that probably means getting a bit of a read on their character and what they might like um but things like a picnic always going to be amazing things like walking around a gallery um, in the afternoon and then maybe going for a drink mm. really lovely um what else so these are like towards the, uh, these are towards the lighter end i mean like i normally think dinner dinner and drinks like always the first yeah thing. yeah dinner yeah. dinner and drinks always great but I, i'd say yeah. dinner and drinks wants you want that to be your second date your first date mm. is really just a, a kind of chemistry match or a chemistry match it's like a hangout yeah 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 so first date you kind of keep short and sweet and then the second date dinner and drinks or a picnic or going to a gallery or i'm not going to say walk because we all did that during lockdown but <laughs> yeah especially in melbourne <laughs> yeah yeah now um yeah, exactly. one other thing i was going to jump into about now a buzzword and a bit of a Oh, everyone throws it around really nearly. I think these days, love languages. Now, can you hit the nail on the head and establish what actually are the love languages and how important it is for people to understand this? Yeah, I have a bit of a yeah, I've got a bit of a gripe with love languages at the moment. <laughs> um, so I'm glad we're I'm glad we're getting to this. Love languages are physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and quality time. There's five. There was a book written by. John Gray, I believe, um, years and years ago um, called the, the Five Love Languages. And yes, it's a buzzword or a buzz concept at the moment and I'm so into everybody becoming more aware of what their love languages are and, how, and what they need in relationships. But everyone's getting it really twisted at the moment. <laughs> Um, and there's a lot of spin-offs of the love languages and they're being like further segmented into different categories. And there's also a lot of people that proclaim that they are or they need all five love languages, which, you know, of course, we all want all five of those love languages. I mean, who doesn't? That's an ideal relationship. But that's the point, right? That's that's nobody is able to fulfill all five of those things all of the time. Mm. But the idea of the love languages is this really clever tool for you to help tell your partner how you feel loved. Mm. And it's one of those five ways in one of the five languages that you will most feel loved and connected with. So that's kind of like their, they it's go like to. their, yeah, their yeah. go-to, yeah. you know. So mine's quality time, right? And so if a, if a person spends quality time with me, even down to my friends, that really means something to me. And like on, like on, the, on the flip side, if I give my time to somebody, that means a lot coming from me too. Mm. So if somebody's not giving that to me, then I won't feel loved. But, if, it, but the love language is knowing my love language or knowing your partner's love language mm. is like, yeah, is kind of a really easy segue into giving them 
what they need yeah. and making them for making them feel fulfilled in the relationship and making it kind of run along harmoniously. Yeah. So is that in some aspects a little bit of compromise? Like just because you can't initiate that love language for them, but you should consider trying to do it for them if it's not your natural love language. A hundred percent. Because that's also the other problem. We often think <laughs> we we often think that our partners want what we want. So in my last relationship, for example, I'll just yeah. use it because it's a good relation because it's a good example. Um, his love language is words of affirmation and mine was quality time. And he he needed words of affirmation, but he gave me words of affirmation. And yeah. he's a writer also. So he was amazing at telling me all these uh, yeah. all these beautiful things. But I needed quality time. So it's yeah. like a disconnect, you know, and we just do tend to go to what we want and then give it to people. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. have to know two things. You have to know a, what your partner's love language is and you have to know what yours is so that yeah. then you can communicate yours and they can communicate theirs and there's no ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can, and it comes down to like understanding. I mean, I don't know, over time you'd like to think couples over, would know, would know, but it's intriguing to think that, because it's such a yeah. buzzword at the moment that, oh, maybe we're not words of affirmation or I'm not or maybe I'm something else. Well, I actually read this book. I read that book when I was in that relationship and mm. it wasn't a big buzzword then and I certainly didn't go to my boyfriend and say, hey, what's your love language? I worked <laughs> yeah. it out. I worked it out really easily because I was with him for years and I knew what mine were just from reading the book. Mm. Um, but... If you are with somebody and you know them well enough, you work it out. Yeah, yeah. Over, and you'd like to think over time you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you can see it. You can see it. Yeah. Um, and there's no shame in also asking like, what do you prefer out of these five things? Yeah, exactly. Like if you can't communicate, then what are you doing? <laughs> That's <laughs> like right. The, the simplest thing. Anyways. Yeah. Now going into exactly. relationships, um, I automatically think, again, we talked about intimacy and those feelings and those of, of towards a loved one, but is a deeper connection truly like the biggest factor in a long-term relationship or the other factors we should consider um, if you're going to have a long-term relationship with someone? Well, I'm going to go back to it's about values. <laughs> so yeah. <it's> boring. <laughs> but yeah, I'm all for it's, it's about aligning your values first and foremost. And when you've developed um, a solid foundation through values, then you can work mm. on, creating a deeper connection and in fact aligning your values will kind of take you there but we mm. often really yeah we get this we get this backwards because we we tend to lead with emotions in relationships yeah. because emotions are fun and yeah. i mean chemistry and we all get excited but if you go too far without assessing the values then yeah you get you get yourself into a bit of a hole if the values aren't aligned i mean you could end up with someone say for example you kind of go along for six or 12 months with somebody and then you realize that they don't want children or they don't want to get married or they don't have a job and they're never going to get one but these are all like part of your part of your fundamental values then you kind of have wasted a year of your life essentially yeah wow yeah and and unfortunately some people and a lot of people are in that position you know we say it all the time yeah whether yeah exactly yeah where you just get again the influence of the 
romance and intimacy and you know how we've depicted it in, in modern life you know we should feel a warm fuzzy and that's all that matters or you know they should just love me and that that's all that matters but it, it, there's much more to that like you can love someone who has completely different values like you can feel those things for someone who has completely different values to you yeah i've, I've certainly experienced that but i that's i also actually see relationships breaking down because when you go back to it the values aren't aligned and you're just like how yeah. can you've been with this person for four years but not worked out what your values are and if you have the same ones it really, yeah like it, it's really it's if you don't get it right it's so wrong yeah do you think there's an element of comfort in that like oh no we see uh, like again personal experience um, some couples who are just oh, I get I'll talk back and like long term couples who are just like not complacent but comfortable like I've been stuck in this relationship for they they get lost in the amount of time they've been in the relationship and and they, they it's like this contract and oh I can't do that I've been with him for ten years or I can't do that I've been with her for eight years or I can't do that we've got a house together yes I do and I think sometimes. Because we don't work out what our values are, our own, yeah. our own values are, and then work out what the values are of a relationship. Yeah. Because it's easy to go along with like the lust and the chemistry of the start of the relationship, then we just just forget what our own values are. Mm. And so you kind of get to this five, ten year stage and realize yeah. you just got to keep going because you're five or ten years in. Yeah. Yeah. And even though they might not necessarily align it's interesting even in the early days i think we've all been there where you kind of put this person on a pedestal as well like they're every and you compare yeah. back to that they're 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 perfect they give me everything i want you know they drop and then you start dropping everything and then that goes against your values you know where you might have prioritized quality time with your friends but now you're just giving everything for this person you know, that's exactly like what that. values are yeah even in it it feels like a really small exam it feels really small when you're saying like I'm giving up a night with the boys or a weekend yeah. away with the boys. But when that adds up over time and you've you've given up all that time with your mates and that's one of your core values, then it can build resentment in, mm. in a relationship. Yeah. So and it matters. Exactly right. Yeah. And in regards to long like those long-term relationships, I mean, how we how do and why do some couples become um, intimately, intimately lazy, I guess, or complacent. I mean, what what is complacent. the reasoning behind that? Yeah, and is it because they've gone past the intimacy stage and they're just comfortable? Like, what what are the facets in that, Jess? I hate complacency. <laughs> it's such it's such a killer. It's a relationship yeah. killer. It's an everything killer. Um, relationship comes from security and certainty, mm. which is a huge paradox um, in relationships and for humans because. The early stages of well, the early stages of the relationship and lust are, dri are driven by uncertainty. So, yeah. the thing is, humans want and crave security and the reassurance yeah. that their relationship will continue, like yeah. in the way that it has. It's a physiological. And that loves yeah. them. it's a physiological reaction. We we want to be safe and grow and secure. Yeah. A hundred percent. But the weird thing is, and um, I learned a lot of this from Esther Perel, who's who talks a lot about um, intimacy versus eroticism, but yeah. uncertainty is what fosters desire and eroticism. And when you remove that, you're left with security or AKA kind of monotony. So you do fall into this 
complacency because you already know what your partner's doing, yeah. where they're like, who they're with, and there's no mystery left in the yeah. relationship. So it's easy to fall into this kind of, yeah, it, it's just, it's easy for things to get boring. Yeah. Yeah. And even in the early days, oh, there's got to be levels of, I don't know, not like comfort's bad, but there's got to be definitely levels. And we talked about earlier red flags, but um, of it being easy, like it should just all kind of flow with this person. Like there shouldn't be these, like there's always going to be bumps in the road, but then there's mm -hmm. the contrast of the comfortability is like this person, it should be easy. Like they should want to spend time on this should be seamless transition almost in a way. It should be, it yeah. should definitely be, but I, I also kind of like to remind people that relationships are effort mm. and if you want to be in a relationship, you really need to be prepared to put effort in Yeah. because yes, you're still the priority in your life, but there is somebody else in your life that you've committed to making effort to. And every mm. day you wake up and you make the decision to be in the relationship and to make effort for the relationship. And if you're bitching about the effort that you need to put in for the relationship, then you shouldn't be in one. And that's also interesting, even in long distance relationships, like, yeah. I, I think like where effort just to even communicate, like effort doesn't have to just become in physical, but I've heard a few people, um, good success in long distance relationships where they still communicate, even if they're different time zones and they, their effort and determination to make it work is above mm. people that who can actually see each other. Yeah. Well, long distance relationships are interesting, right? Yeah. Because they automatically factor in, there's automatically mystery within a long distance yeah. relationship because there's distance and space and time and so much independence. And that mystery kind of fosters this sexiness sort of yeah. thing. So it's harder to fall into complacency because you're kind of always wondering what they're doing mm. and you're attracted to their independence. Whereas if they're next to you or by your side all the time, there's not that uncertainty. There's not that mystery. Mm. So long yeah. distance thing long distance relationships are a funny one they can actually work really work. well like that yeah mm. so mm -hmm. would you say two independent people play a greater chance of working out yeah 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 like yeah. my ideal relationship is probably a long distance one <laughs> <laughs> you're so, because then, you, going, going then you just that, like yeah. see each other you just see each other kind of every second weekend and you have yeah. you know you have a lot of space to do what you need to do but then there's a level of commitment in that as well it's like because we don't get to see each other much on this second or third yeah. week, you have to make the commitment to get there and, you know, Yeah, exactly, but then it makes it so exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The build-up and the intimacy could be amazing going into that week as well. It's like the best exactly. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might have to jump on that train. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, that's funny that you lead into that because attachments, it's quite interesting. I mean, for I'm a social worker, so I've got a good idea about this stuff and then mm -hmm. obviously yourself, but for the listeners, um, we talked about earlier – how important, I mean, what's like, what are they and what influences that have, I guess, within our relationships? I mean, can all attachments work out on top of that, like with each other? Yeah. Yeah. yeah super interesting question. Yeah. So attachment types are deeply rooted again in our psychology and generally, ste generally stem from the relationships we witness in our early years. So yeah. mum and dad. Um, and there's three attachment types. They are anxious, avoidant and secure. And mm. no, certainly all of them don't go together harmoniously. <laughs> um, so there's basically the secure. Yeah. What don't? Yeah. Um, avoidant and anxious yeah. are the worst match of all of them. <laughs> and 
that's because um, anxious constantly need to be reassured by their partner that everything's okay. And the anxious, the anxious attachment type kind of have this ability to be really intuitive about feelings, mm. but they can also then overanalyze those feelings and yeah. interpret them negatively. So that kind of puts them into a spin where they need to be reassured. Yeah. But if an anxious person is with an avoidant and an avoidant is what we see classically in movies as the non-committal man or the bad or boy. Real life that's, as well. Yeah, F that's boys. kind of that yeah, <laughs> that's sorry. That's kind of what your avoidant is. And um, you know, they kind of have commitment commitment issues, they might reluctantly get into a relationship or they push against the traditional construct of it, or they might try to sabotage it because they find a need to, to reassert their independence um, and they feel uncomfortable in a relationship or, or suffocated by it. So, a, so an anxious and an avoidant getting into a relationship is like getting on a roller coaster because it's, it's masochistic, it's painful, and mm. it's a lot of high highs and low lows. But the problem is those two types of people are actually drawn to that sort of drama. So yeah. even though they shouldn't be together, they they often kind of find themselves together going up and down on this roller coaster. So they, they like get, the quote unquote toxic relationships. Yeah, well, and they yeah. get addicted to the highs and lows of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're the most poorly matched out of the attachment types. Yeah. Can you jump between and, attachments? Like can someone be all of them? I don't think reason. so. No, yeah. I think, I think you, I think you are one. I think you can move with quite a bit of work. You can move from one to another. Mm. Um, I mean, ideally, everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be in that secure attachment type bracket. It's the most stable. Um, they're the most. They're the easiest to be in relationships with. They're drama free, and mm. you know they don't need much reassuring. So that's what you kind of want to be, but they're also the ones that are hardest to find on the on the dating market because they're all snapped up. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got yeah, I've definitely said that. all the good ones are taken. That's what I, yeah, that's yeah. what I normally say. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, and this sounds oh, probably not. Yeah, that's all right. Like, I get like men like we just walk past you know meet a good girl out who seems very stable. It's like now nah, she's definitely taken. Like she that all the good ones are gone. Like it, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. And I think you can, if you are an avoidant or an anxious, then you can do a solid amount of work on yourself and move into yeah. a secure. I also think you can, from experiences, be kind of pushed between two attachment types. Like I think I've I've gone from being an anxious to a bit more an avoidant over mm. through my experiences, which is, by the way, not ideal. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but I, I think you are sort of like baseline one of them. You yeah. don't just like flip, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can, but then say like mm, some people can bring, again, some people can bring, again, my own experiences. Yeah, with specific qualities that may mm. trigger you to become anxious or. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because but it, those people, that's probably an avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's and then, and then that's not a suitable match anyway, you know? Yeah, and the funny how you said that you've jumped between two. Again, I can only speak for myself. I definitely was probably partly anxious. And then mm. I think because – and a lot of people have gone through this thing as well where they've gone, I don't 
I think the the source for that was yeah, I've probably got to find or oh, someone else a great independence or fulfillment in my life to become secure in myself, yeah. like achieve things for myself so that I can give yep. myself to someone else. Yeah, you that know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, but then you know it's it's these early it's the weight of these early experiences and how they affect you growing up is so the the weight of it is so pivotal. I feel as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely, it definitely shapes you. But I think what you said really has, yeah, that has a, lo- a lot of waiting too. Like if you have something in your life that is secure and that you're working towards, mm. um, then you you are going to be more secure within yourself and therefore not as not as inclined to be either anxious or avoidant. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And again, if you become like more weight and being probably the best one secure, if you become – you know, other things in your life that are fulfilling the other person, the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever relationship you're in could see mm-hmm. that you working towards secure is um, mm-hmm. very determined, hard work and passionate um, mm-hmm. and all these other values that can make yourself more attractive to that your partner. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, um, and I'm just thinking all this information, dating's hard. I think, I think that it it's is complex and then um, I think people – would have their their ideas change listening to this, but in general about, you know, it's not just about falling in love and putting on a pedestal fine, someone's prince charming and it should just all be easy and flow and I'll get married and have kids in the white picket fence. But um no. there is a lot of ups and <laughs> yeah, ups and downs of that and you gotta gotta put yourself out there. But in, in within putting yourself out there, there's a lot of heartbreak, I could imagine, and a lot of people going up and downs. I'm really intrigued yeah. to see your thoughts on how can people healthily um, move on from someone? I mean, it's a it's a big. I'm sure you get that question a million times. Like, how can someone how can in a positive a positive way move on and from something that's sad and that's happened before in a, in a relationship? Okay, so a breakup, um, a bad breakup. Yeah, or even just like rejection in general is a big thing in society, and I see it. Uh, again, men like just putting themselves out there they're so anxious about being rejected mm. and seeing someone for a while form these great memories and then it ending like even in that mm. sense how can people kind of recover that in that recover from that in a positive way okay well first of all i think like it's really important to allow yourself the the right amount of time to grieve even if yeah. even if you've been in like even if you've just been seeing somebody or you've been in a situation mm. or it's a relationship that's not labeled like be honest with yourself and say, no, I had these feelings and in order for me to get past these feelings, I'm going to honor them and I'm going to do myself the service of giving myself X amount of time to yeah. really get over it. And don't just like sweep them under the rug because that's only going to come back and bite you in, bite you in the mm-hmm. ass later. Um, so that's number one is really be aware of how you're feeling and own the feelings. Um, number two, I'd say if you want to move on and if you're serious about your healing, then you need to not contact them and not be in contact with them because you don't want to. So you'd say block and all that kind of stuff. The blocking one's interesting. If it's causing you, if it's causing you grief for sure block, um, you know, like if, if you're not, if you're not someone that's going to, you know, have a couple of drinks and text them or oh, yeah. reply to their Instagram stories or something, then don't worry about the blocking, but just don't talk to them. Um, you know, every time every time you talk to them or you have some sort of interaction, 
you got to think of it as going back. Like say, let's, let's pretend you're on a detox. Say you're giving up booze, right? Yeah. Every time you have another drink, you're back to day one. So it's exactly the same with kind of detaching from someone. You need to give yourself enough time to become single and independent from them and heal. So every time you contact them or there's some sort of interaction, you're back to the beginning yeah. and you don't want to do that. Yeah. And they, that would instigate a lot of chemical responses again. Like you think, oh, you, of you course. Got a, yeah, you got a chance or, oh, they're talking to me so they must be interested and all that kind of stuff as well, which is yeah, this roller coaster. Yeah, and the thing is then what, what, people doesn't, what people don't realize because they're like, oh, no, it's totally fine. You know, we're talking it's like everything's amicable or whatever, but mm. it just takes up so much brain space and emotional space. And you really don't want that because if you've been with this person for a month or a year or two years, you've already spent that much time with them and that's fine. That's cool. But if you're trying to move on and if you're trying to get your life back to a place of independence and a place of happiness, then that extra time that you're spending interacting with them and then overthinking it, and overanalyzing it and maybe going back to them, that's more time that you're yeah. eating into. So I think it's really important to get clear on that with yourself. And then I just tell people to really go and like throw yourself into your own life, do whatever you need to do to distract yourself from them, you know, like take up tennis or go to a cooking club, as mm -hmm. naff as it sounds, just do whatever you need to do so that you're not thinking about them and so that you're you know proactively kind of galvanizing or like moving yeah. in another direction yeah and you yeah and people start fantasizing oh you know about the the story the narrative of them coming back could be much beautiful than them being independent and the redemption as well not redemption lack of a better term but you know being independent and making their own their own way yeah i mean the independence is always going to win like yeah. in terms of the better story like the better narrative in the end but i know that we all do fantasize about them coming yeah, back and that's only yeah. natural but the thing is like the more that you go and get on with your life and the more that you focus on yourself and i suppose it is like really teaching yourself to be selfish again because when mm. you're in a relationship you think about somebody all the time so you want to really foster this positive selfishness and yeah. the more you put into yourself the better you're going to be so Instead of being obsessed with them, you'll be obsessed with yourself. And I know there's like negative connotations with that, but in a breakup, that's allowed. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the end, like, you know, I could be wrong here. This is my thought. People are always going to do what they want to do. Like in the end, like they're always going to, if they, lack of a better term, didn't want you, they're always going to stick to that decision. Or if they really did want to come back in a healthy way, they will in the end, no matter kind of, you know, even if you are independent or not. Does that, is that? You do get one percent, Jess. Yeah, like everyone, no one will instantly. People, it's hard for people to change. They're not just going to flick a switch and just all of a sudden change. Like people will do what they want to do in the end. Yeah, it's as cliche as, as it sounds. Yeah, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. They'll come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether well. you're whether you're around the corner playing tennis or whether you are like in Africa on <laughs> yeah. a tour, like whatever you're doing, if they really want to be with you, they'll find you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I heard this yeah. like amazing story. Um, where I think they this is couple they met on their twenty or ten year reunion, and then they met then, and they met on their ten year reunion ten years later again, and then on their thirtieth year reunion they ended up 
you know, that was the night and they end up having a marriage or something. I oh, know I'm a sucker for love. So I kind of love that story as well. So it's just, yeah. if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So there's hope for everyone out there. Even if they yeah, know. we all love those stories. And yeah. I mean, yeah, it, they like, that's the thing. They could come back, but you can't, yeah, yeah you can't live that. your life. You can't live your life one foot in, one foot out. Cause that's doing a disservice to you. Yeah. And again, you don't want to be like, you don't, like you literally, you don't want to be two years down the track and be like, I've been waiting for this guy kind of to come back for two years. Mm. So therefore I've not formed any new real connections. Yeah. I've not moved house. I've not gone on that trip because I've been waiting for him or her to come back. Yeah. And that's like, it's devastating because it's a waste of your own time. Yeah. Don't chase everyone. Don't chase. Don't and time chase is the one place. valuable. Time is like the one thing that you can never get back as well. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jeez, dating's hard. I'm just want to avoid it. <laughs> you just um, want to avoid it. And to kind of, before we get into the question and the Q&As from the listeners, um, mm-hmm. this is a broad and pretty broad question. Is there really someone out there for everyone, Jess? Do you yeah, think so? I think so. I think there's many people out there for for all of us. And I just think that dating, as we've discussed, is, is so um, complex and convoluted and it's kind of like choose your own adventure, you know, you like – wherever you go next might yeah. mean that you meet somebody that you didn't think you would or maybe yeah. you'll go to a different cafe or whatever. Like it's just I think there's plenty of people that everyone can be with. Yeah. And timing it's as just, well. And it's like, again, we yeah. talked about it, but timings, I think, again, not giving too personal, but my own mates growing up, it's like you go through this journey. I've got this theory on the age of 27 or 28 where there's a lot more dates and you know the the old three or four dates and you probably may not sleep together and you get to know each other a bit more maturely and then early years i just think like university hookups going mm-hmm. out one night stands and then something kind of flicks and then there's that timing period around that age where you just maybe looking for like, yeah that's the 20 i just thought something about it like um yeah. again it's that's a, the timing it's apparently yeah. um 27 20 or 28 i think is satin returns or something if yeah. you're like if you're into woo woo stuff it's yeah. like if the first time, I don't know, the first time your life in years has gone around satin or something, I don't know, don't quote me yeah. on that, but there's some like different shift in that in behavior at that age because ah. it's like a different phase of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's And it's like a transitional. It's like either yes. you're, borderline, you're borderline settling down. I, I, told, I chew the boys off ear about this. I'm like, something happens when we're 27, 28 because a couple of them get it married. And, and like you're trying to figure out getting past that life before and this is male and female like past that life you had before and then you're also trying to work on your independence about your life going ahead it's like yeah. you're not quite 30 and settling down but you've got these different aspirations about which led you to that point from your experiences beforehand you know like yeah 100 yeah, yeah. so is, my yeah. theory is right thank you Santa yep, right. I don't I don't like stars <laughs> I don't like stuff but there you go <laughs> look it there up you... later and then you can tell the boys yeah. it's real <laughs> um, you got a, I've got a couple of Q&A from listeners are you ready to go go for it yep um, so someone said in, guys guys report they feel intimidated because I have to have my life together I think how do I combat this is this a girl saying this or a guy saying this mm, well it says guys so <laughs> so okay. I'm going to presume Okay, so girls, a girl is saying that guys report they feel intimidated because she has her, she life, has her together. life together. How yeah. do I combat that? Um, I'd say take it as a compliment. Like mm. if you're a woman and you have this experience, then it's probably a strong indicator that he's not for you. 
Yeah. Um, and maybe the fact that you have your quote unquote life together makes him feel uncomfortable about his own, um, mm. which means he might have a bit of work to do and there's nothing wrong with that. Some men would see a woman having their life together as sort of aspirational or inspirational and would think, okay, if I, if I'm with her, then she might be a good influence in me and I can step up and other guys might think that's really not for me. It's going to make me uncomfortable. Um, But if it's not the former and he doesn't think that you will potentially shape him and give him some great like experiences and insights then he's not for you and move along Mm. and and be proud of the fact that you've got your life together yeah exactly and yeah it's it's nothing on you yeah it's more on them yeah yeah it's Um, absolutely nothing on you like all power to you exactly um so the next one was how do you start communicating what you want when you're so fearful of rejection. So I kind of touch on the fear of rejection. I'll see it a lot in guys and, you know, again, I wouldn't know um, females, but a lot of guys lately I've realized have had this big fear of rejection in going back yeah. out of the dating world. Yeah, this is really hard. I always, I think, like, just go back to what's the worst thing that I could happen if I articulate my needs or if I ask somebody out. Mm. Um, and maybe the answer is no and that's okay but it's not only a no but it also gives you direction it might mean okay that person's not for me or if you're in a relationship and somebody tells you they're not going to meet your needs then that gives you that indicates to you that maybe they're not the person for you Mm. you know like I think the risk is always worth it when your needs are in question if you are in a relationship and I will say that articulating your needs in a relationship gets easier over time and with practice um, and your assertiveness does grow. Um, and I think as well, we think when we hear the word assertiveness, you kind of assume it's combative or demanding, but being assertive just means that you know, that you know what your needs we are want. and your boundaries are, and you yeah. won't bend around them. Yeah. Um, and you can be gentle in being assertive and just say, this makes me feel, or I would prefer it if, and then, and that's kind of communicating your needs but in a softer way yeah yeah communication like yeah, communication yeah like it's it's i find intrigue it's not hard but some people will fuck it up i swear <laughs> i can't it, i'm probably not perfect but yeah <laughs> it, it can be scary and yeah. i mean i i was certainly in a place where i found it really difficult to communicate mm. to communicate my needs as well and i have have been there a lot of times in the past but practice 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 yeah really yeah trial and error yeah yeah. And for the next one, last one, can you please break down the concept of opposites attract? I find this very intriguing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I've heard a few times and you start thinking, maybe, again, like Oppos- we talked about before, maybe you're looking outside the wrong circle. Maybe you're looking at the wrong circle. I have to cast your net. Yeah. Um, I think opposites attract is a myth. <laughs> sociologists <laughs> and psychologists have provided evidence to disprove over time. Um, I'll have to jump on that team. Sorry my own work (laughs) um i think the saying opposites attract is probably heavily lent upon as a way to validate mismatched connections in a way Mm. um i think like i guess there's some benefit in having a connection with someone who has different interests to yours like because you can learn things from each other 
However, when it becomes back comes back to this compatibility and values, mm. then we want similarities. So I think yeah. opposite attracts is just a romanticization of something that actually doesn't work. Like it's kind of like that yo-yo roller coaster toxicity. Yeah. Um, and we use the opposites attract as a way to validate that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost enabling, like, or yeah, yeah. Or, like some people, I know, like they work, like they balance each other out. It's great credit to them, but the odds and yeah. that rarity is, you know, much very very low of that working. I think. Yeah, I always think of like particularly in opposites attract. Like, if you look at opposite lifestyles, for instance, like mm. a like a party boy who goes out every weekend and a girl who like is a career woman and slash spends the weekend with family or at yeah. the gym. Like it's, yeah. it's never going to end up being very harmonious. It might be fun for a bit because you can dabble in the other one's lifestyle, but mm. overall it's, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. I couldn't find anything more attractive than a girl's independent. Like, yeah, yeah. like personally, yeah. Then, and that's probably correlation. Again, my own experiences, like, cause I've, a hermit now so i couldn't think of anything worse than going out at the moment in, in melbourne <laughs> with 5 a.m vendors till sunday or monday <laughs> you know i couldn't think of anything worse but yeah and that probably i will say again with my transition yeah yeah i will say that um melbourne certainly has a better nightlife than sydney from yeah just one <laughs> what about weekend dating? what about dating wise <laughs> I have no idea yet. Oh, but, well, um, that guy, the chivalrous guy, might have yes. put Melbourne there. Yeah, there. he's actually put Melbourne men on the map for me. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, uh, thank you for your time. That's all we've got for today. So I'm welcome. sure I'm going to get inundated with more. So we'll probably get you back on. But thank you so much for your time and we'll catch up when you're in Melbourne. Thank you. Yeah, I'm coming to have some food with a lot of sauce. With yes, <laughs> with a lot of sauce. <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> okay, Cheers. thank you so much. Thank you.